The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast, WGC Mexico, DFS, betting preview, everything you need to know for this World Golf Championship. And as we do every Tuesday, let me bring in my partner in crime, Greg Ducharme. Hey, Greg. Hey, great to be back. Another another pretty solid field. I mean, I don't know if it's quite as strong as we had last week at the Genesis, but this week at the World Golf Championships, Mexico Championship, we should have a, another good one. Yeah, I mean, just kind of the the nature of the beast here is you get the the top 50 players in the world are eligible. Now, not all of them have to play. You know, Tiger's not playing. Brooks isn't playing. But we're getting a lot of them. And then you get, like, these exemptions from the other tours, uh, which makes up your field of 72, which is, yeah, generally pretty deep. So back-to-back, back, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of big names today. Couldn't agree more. And you love it. You love getting to do it because these guys are starting. We're starting to see a little bit more recent form. We're starting to get an idea of how players are playing at this given time. There's still a little bit of you still got to jump off the lily pad on some of these guys. But for the most part, we, we have a good understanding of where they are with their games. Yeah, we are now getting into the time of the year where, you know, the Masters will be here before we know it. These guys are gearing up. They're playing more. We're hitting that, you know, getting into that Florida swing here shortly. So, yeah, you're going to see a lot of big names. And to kick it all off, this is the first WGC of the year in Mexico City, Club de Golf Chapultepec. How was that pronunciation? I think you did pretty good. All right. It's one that I won't be saying. I like to say here in Mexico City. Got it. Uh, but, yeah, but you got you did pretty good. That'll be the last time I say it uh, for, <laughs> for the show. But uh, a couple of things that are unique about this event and this course. So WGC Mexico has not always been played in Mexico. This is the fourth year here in Mexico City. It, previously, it was at Doral. So if you're kind of looking back, Greg, at uh, what we would call tournament history. There is actually a tournament history versus a course history because, you know, Adam Scott has technically won the WGC Mexico, but it was not in Mexico. That's right. That was back when it was at Doral, um, which was also a great tournament uh, and a great venue that they played at. So you basically have three years to look at. And for me, I, I don't look at anything from Doral. I, I think you pretty much throw that out. You've had three three stops here to me when you start getting outside of three years i mean maybe you can go five years the the course history kind of becomes less important outside of that three to five year window how long how long will you go like let's say you're looking at riviera like we did last week will you look beyond sort of three to five years back how, how deep do you go uh no, I I I love the last 3. I think it's a really good window. 5 I think starts to push the boundaries because 
like the golfer that they were five years ago could be completely different than the golfer they are right now. And we've seen that like Rory is probably the most stable guy in the last five years. Right. But if you look at, Hey, Jordan Spieth from 2015, which was one of the most historic seasons in the history of golf versus 2020 Jordan Spieth, like completely different golfers. So I kind of just like, I want to look back definitely last year, the year prior, three years is like a really good window for me. I'll say, I'll say this. It depends on who. If you're yeah. talking about Jordan Spieth, course history for him nearly gets thrown out the window because of what you just mentioned, how different of a player he is now. Uh, a player like Dustin Johnson, on the other hand, who to me is, I would argue he's um, a more stable player on the PGA Tour than Rory McIlroy in the last five years. Yeah. Um, but but I will look at his a little bit deeper. And the other thing is, is there a story? Is there a guy who played really well a long time ago and then maybe went through a little slump like Jordan Spieth is now, and now the game's back on the rise? That can be an inclination of, hey, he likes the golf course, a couple tough years, but they were tough years as a whole, not just tough years at this venue. In that case, I'll go a little bit deeper too. But for me, generally speaking, you're looking at three years. And I think it, I think it also depends on the course. Uh, some courses are, are, are much more unique. You know, you get to something like a harbor town, which, you, you know, a lot of guys have to lay back and, and hitting the fairway is so critical. Uh, a lot of courses, even Augusta, where, you know, you have to know the subtleties of the greens and you can kind of only get that from experience. Those I kind of treat differently than I do. You know, you get to some of these resort courses uh, that guys can, Hey, you know, go up, tee it up, bomb it as far as you can hit your wedge into the middle of the green and see how many putts you can make. I couldn't agree more. I could right. not agree more. So I'm with you. Let's get to some players. All right, let's do this. So real quick, uh, Chapultepec altitude. 7,600 feet above sea level. Generally speaking, uh, these golfers are going to hit it. I think it's like 15% further. So Greg, kind of talk me through, I imagine it's going to be a big track man week. They're going to have the track man on the driving range all week, finding out what their new numbers are. Tra- that That's a great point. It, it's honestly, it's a great point because when these players play at altitude, the distances change. You basically have to go through a recalibration. Um, and, and everything changes. So the, the introduction of launch monitors to the PGA tour is extremely beneficial in a week like this. The other thing that's extremely beneficial and something I definitely will have my eye on is the caddy. Um, who, who's the caddy? What's the caddy re- player relationship like? Because there's a, there's a lot of quick calculations that you got to get through when you're out there on the golf course. Um, and, and with elevation change and altitude, that can get a little bit complicated. It can get a little bit tricky. The percentage thing makes it for an interesting time, especially when you get into wedges, which I believe a lot of these players, the ball is going to go a long way off the tee. Players are going to end up with a lot of wedges and it can be a little bit, you know, a little confusing and a little bit tricky. So a, a really good caddy, a caddy that's going to say, Hey, this is what we need to do. This is the club and, and present that information with confidence. I think is really important this week. And then when you combine that with the, you know, the art of trying to figure it all out on the fly, along with these tree-lined fairways that you get around Chapultepec, which you have to be, you could be in the fairway, but you could be on the wrong side of the fairway and kind of stymie yourself behind some of, of these overhanging branches. I think the best example of that is last year, that ridiculous Tiger Woods bunker shot that he held off the finish and hit a huge cut uh you know fade yes. into and then the ball I think spun. that was on number nine 
Yeah, so he was obviously in the fairway bunker, which is not a place you want to be. But the fact that he has to hit that ball like 40 yards left to right or whatever it ended up being is a pretty good indication of, you know, if he was just short of the bunker and in the right side of the fairway, he would have he would have been stymied. So you you really have to play a very smart game around this course. You couldn't be more correct. And it, now I will say this, the because of what you just mentioned, the side of the fairway being the most important thing. It's not necessarily extremely important that you hit a lot of fairways. It's just extremely important that you get your ball into the right position. And it's not going to matter much if it's in the rough just a little bit or if it's in the fairway. Um, it just has to be on the right side. Even if with these tree-lined fairways, there are even cases where you can be in the trees. And if you're on the proper side, you have, you have an alley. You have a lane. Yeah. You, have a, you have a swing and a shot. So uh, just – Smart players, players who can get the ball into position off the tee are going to have a big advantage. The other thing that seems to be an advantage, Rick, is distance. Uh, players who can get the ball out there a little bit farther, for them, they, they can kind of get around some of these dog legs and flip some wedges in. And even if they do get a bad angle, they have such a short club in their hand that they can kind of overcome that. So to me, position, positioning off the tee is really important. Um, Wedge play is really important, and driving distance is really important. One last thing before we jump into the player pool here. Uh, this is a WGC, so you get a lot of really good players, but for the most part, uh, studs win these events. So I'm just going to rattle off some of the winners here over the last five years or so, and they're listed alphabetically. So here we go. Adam Scott, Brooks Kepka, Bubba, Dustin Johnson, one, two, three, four, five times, Hideki twice, Jason Day, Justin Rose, Justin Thomas, Kisner, that was the match play, Mickelson, Rory twice, Russell Knox, Shane Lowry, Xander Shoffley. I mean, outside of Knox and Lowry and Kisner, which was the match play, probably every single one of the winners in the last five years was like within the top, I don't know, like 10 of the field that week, which kind of makes sense, Greg, because when you give the best players in the world four guaranteed rounds without a cut, the cream generally rises to the top. The, you're you're right. Cream definitely rises. Um, it, it's it's very interesting. I, I wonder if this has to do anything with the with the golf courses that they play. But it always seems like a big name is winning a World Golf Championship. It doesn't really matter where they play. Now it does help that the big names are playing in there. And yep. even a Shane Lowry is now an Open champion. So that name has gotten a lot bigger <laughs> since his win in the in a World Golf Championship. True. So it, it's very interesting to see. I think also here at, at, um, at the WGC Mexico championship, um, in Mexico City here, we have three pretty big winners. Well, it's only two because Dustin Johnson won twice and Phil Mickelson won the other. So, um, definitely big names. And if, don't forget in that Phil Mickelson, um, uh, the, the year Phil Mickelson won, Justin Thomas was in a playoff with him. Um, yeah, and, the cameraman yeah. almost stepped on his ball. Remember that? Yeah. And, and well, JT also, he hold out from, he hold out on 18 from the fairway to force a playoff. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. And then you had Rory uh, finishing runner up last year to DJ. So definitely, definitely a big game to be hunted out here this week. Jumping into the DraftKings player pool and the betting board, five golfers over $10,000 on DraftKings, led by Rory McIlroy at 11,500. DJ, who has just the most absolute elite uh, course history around here is 11,000 flat. 
JT, who missed the cut last week, is 10,800. John Rahm at 10,006. And then Hideki Matsuyama rounds out the top tier guys at an even 10,000. Uh, there's a little bit more separation in these guys than we saw last week when there was just kind of like a big three of Rom, JT, and uh, Rory, and we had to try to figure it out. There's a bit more separation. Does that does that account for anything in your brain, Greg, to, to target one of these guys over another? Well, Dustin Johnson has been, um, since basically the PGA Championship of last year, has been, in my opinion, the forgotten guy. And I believe part of that had to do with the knee injury. And I think he was playing with a little bit of an injured knee, and that led to some subpar play. Keep in mind, last year, although he was the forgotten man, he still won $5.5 million. Not um, bad. I, yeah, he, so he did okay. He still won <laughs> this this event, mind you. And I, I think this year we're starting to see him round into form a little bit. He did have a tough Sunday round at Pebble Beach. Um, something that he has done in the past before we all remember what happened at the U.S. Open um, in 2010 when Graham McDowell won. That was Dustin Johnson's tournament to win, and he shot, I think it was 82 on Sunday. So when conditions get tough at Pebble Beach, Dustin has has had a hard time on more than one occasion. So I look at that round, that Sunday round this year, and I almost throw it out. I, I think yeah. his play this week was was very solid. He had a chance to win, and Sunday at Riviera gave him a hard time, and it gave many other players a hard time too. So I, I still look at Dustin, and I say he's in pretty good form, the forgotten guy, and I, I he, he's a lot cheaper than Rory McIlroy um, yes, yes. with a better course history. So I'm leaning towards DJ in those top two, but they're still the, the next two are still pretty good with, with mm-hmm. Rahm and Thomas. I think that uh, everything that you said is is extremely accurate. I'm a little bit concerned, uh, but also optimistic on DJ, considering the fact that he's lost strokes putting in eight of his last 10 starts. And to kind of put that into perspective, the 40 starts before that, he gained in 26 of them. So he was a long-term, very good gaining putter. And he has not been that way recently, which to me, you know, we've seen him change putters, you know, mid tournament multiple times uh, in, in recent months. And it's just like clearly he's trying to work through it. I the week that he figures it out, the week that he figures it out he's absolutely going to win because he's been so good everywhere else, Greg. But like that to me is the one thing. And knowing that he's going to suck up all of this ownership above ten thousand dollars because he's won this event twice in the last three years he's won it three times total going back to Doral like I think he sucks up a lot of that so you know if and for good reason but like if you're looking to pivot to someone else if it's not DJ who is it it's probably well the next I mean the next two guys Justin Thomas and John Rahm are very interesting but just to wrap up on DJ quick because I'm interested in that that you think he's going to suck up a lot of ownership yeah. Um, I, I have my, my questions about that. And the reason is his recent form. So when, when you look at pools of people who are, are choosing on DraftKings, would you mm-hmm. say there's a greater bias towards course history than there is towards recent form? Yeah, there is. I mean, and, and it's kind of even almost built into the, the DraftKings pricing, uh, because it comes from the Vegas odds and the Vegas odds generally bump up at least the defending champion a little bit, right? And then that, translates into DraftKings pricing and then someone looks at it and goes, oh, wow, DJ, he's, you know, right below Rory McIlroy. I can, the the perception is I can save $500 from Rory and get a guy who's won this twice in the last three years. It, It almost doesn't matter what he's done recently. 
it's so interesting. And you mentioned the the recent hit the the past champion gets kind of an advantage, right? Vegas gives mm-hmm. them an advantage. We don't do that, right? We give the no. guy who won last year kind of a disadvantage. It's not going to yeah. happen again, right? Yeah, we because say Adam what are, Scott's not going to get picked this week, right? We say what are the chances he could do it again? Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I I I really like Rory, but I don't know if you can go up and get him for eleven thousand five hundred. It would depend on the way that you build out your lineups. But even somewhat like I'd I'd almost rather take the full discount, go down to Hideki at ten thousand even, who led the field in strokes gained tee to green last week. Lost three and a half strokes putting like he always does and finished three shots behind Adam Scott. Like, dude, putt, like, give me one four day period where you putt just average and you win the golf tournament. He's such a good ball striker. He really is, but he just shows time and time again. I mean, we can keep pleading and asking for just one good putting performance, but there's no signs of that. It, it, there's no sign of it to come. The problem with Hideki to me is what happens with the stroke that he makes itself. And I watch his ball come off the putter and it just, it, it bobbles. There was a time, and I want to say it was in 2017, where at, when he was leading the, uh, at Quail Hollow in the PGA Championship, he was rolling it really well. And, um, and, and he, he basically had a chance to win. But late in the tournament, it started bobbling again and he hit a couple of cut putts sliced a couple of putts and that's kind of his fingerprint with the putting stroke he hits he cuts his putts and it doesn't give me confidence that there's a good putting week right around the corner a player like tony finau who when you watch him he's he's got the ball rolling and they're just not going in that's the kind of guy i can say okay he's putting great they're just not going in so statistically it doesn't look very good but he has a chance of having a good putting week because he's rolling the ball properly Hideki, I don't see that. When you bet Hideki or you roster him on DraftKings or whatever, it always just feels like you're just hanging on for dear life. Like you just hope he gets up, uh, you know, like on Sunday at some point and just can, you know, doesn't blow it is the way it feels as opposed to someone like Rory where he could be three shots back on the, you know, making the turn on Sunday and you still feel like you're in it because he can rattle off, you know, a bunch of birdies in a row. Yeah. Although I do feel like he can have a good round. The thing I like about rostering Hideki is he has, Definitely really low score equity, if you want to yeah. call it that. Uh, he, he can go off on a Saturday and a Sunday and go shoot a couple of 64s and get himself right back into the mix. So for me, I like Hideki kind of sneaking in the back door, a back door top 10 or top five, but it's hard to see him winning soon. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, Webb Simpson leads the $9,000 range. He won his last start at Waste Management. Adam Scott right behind him, $9,600. He's won his last two starts, including last week. Xander Shoffley, who we know loves a good no-cut event at 94. Tommy Fleetwood at 92, who's been playing very well on the European Tour. And then Bryson at 9,000 coming off his fifth place finish last week at Riviera. Um, we kind of talked about Adam Scott as like no one's going to go back to him, which I, I, I think I certainly agree with. But there, Adam Scott is the rare type of player for me, Greg, that he's he's very streaky. And we've seen him get in these multiple week stretches where he can just rattle off like he can just keep it going. You know, some of these guys can't back up good performances with good performances. Um, Adam Scott seems to be a little bit of a hotter, streakier player. And we might be in the midst of one of those stretches right now. Adam Scott, it is such a fascinating thing because what he's done is he's really improved his putting. It, it has genuinely improved. Um, and, and he, we talked about him on HQ, Rick. And, and yep. the concern that I had is he's going to get in that moment 
where the tournament's on the line and he has to make a putt and I don't trust him to make it. Um, well, this week at Riviera, he answered the bell on two occasions. He made a huge bogey putt on 15 after plugging it in, in the bunker, uh, kind of an inexcusable iron shot. He plugs in the bunker, hits it over the green, hits a flop shot, and then makes the putt. And it was great. And then on 17, there's that moment again. Kuchar's likely to make birdie here. And if it, Adam Scott can win the tournament with this one putt, more or less. And he made it. And he, he answered the question. It was, it was beautiful to see. So that being said, I, I love his chances for that. I think as a better putter, Adam Scott is a guy you have to watch out for. The strength of his game recently has been his iron play. Do you think iron play is benefited on a course like this? Or do you think it's more about driving, driving into the ball and sort of, and, and wedge play? I think in general, this is a very general statement. Uh, of all of the strokes gained metrics, strokes gained approach, so your iron play is the most important everywhere. Now, that is obviously a very broad statement to make because it just is one of these stats that correlates highly with your finishing position and your world golf ranking and all of that stuff. But I will say here at Chapultepec, the off the tee game, the driver is much more important here than it is at a lot of other places because of the altitude, the way that you can literally, um, I mean, you can, you can steal strokes off the tee if you are pitching into greens or if you're, if you're hitting, you know, 14 of the correct side of the fairway every round, like you, you are probably literally shaving strokes off your, off your score. I tend to agree with that. And, and for that reason, I, I almost feel like Adam Scott's biggest advantage, which is his iron play, as I mentioned, is, is limited in a little bit in a, in a, a small way. So now he is a great driver of the ball too. So I still, I, I like him for that sense, but I'm not as crazy about him as I would be at a course like, like Riviera, for, for instance, or a place like Quail Hollow, a place where really solid iron play is required because you end up with a lot of long shots in. I, I don't think you're going to get that here this week. I have made one uh, one bet this thus far this week. Um, I have wagered an outright on Bryson DeChambeau at thirty three to one. He is currently nine thousand dollars on DraftKings. Yep, yes, nine thousand right. dollars on DraftKings. Um, what we have talked about, and I think I, you and I have probably talked about this a lot, Greg, is the results for him are going to be all over the place as he figures this this new swing out. But all over the place doesn't necessarily always mean bad. It means that in weeks that he figures it out, like he did last week, where he was second in strokes gained tee to green, him and Hideki were like the only two guys on the top of the leaderboard who lost strokes putting. Bryson was an animal off the tee. He was third in the field in strokes gained off the tee. He leads this field in driving distance. Like, whatever Bryson's doing is working. And then when I look at this and say, you have to have, like, you have to have win equity in this field. It's a WGC. You have to have proven you can win at the highest levels. And there was like a 17 or 18 month stretch where Bryson won five times, which is like kind of insane to think about. And we're, we're not that far removed from it. There, I, I saw that number and I jumped on it because I was afraid it was going to move. It, it's a really interesting pick. And like you said, you got to have win equity. I do believe Bryson has win equity. Um, I do believe that it's, it's a bold play even though he he had that great finish last week. But do, do you think he's going to get any more 
traction this week? Do you think people are going to buy on Bryson a little bit more with that $9,000 price? I don't know because the pricing's pretty soft, quite frankly. So like it's last week, it was kind of similar where when you get so many good players in the field, it almost, it's like major pricing where, you know, Matt Kuchar last week is always like seven, he's like $7,800 in every major or whatever. Right. So you can go and build like, you know, Morikawa's in the mid eights. Uh, there's guys in the, in the, in the high sevens that are fine. I don't, I don't see any natural, like, oh, you have to have one guy here above the 10K. You have to have one guy at 9,000 and it has to be Bryson. I just don't think it's very, a, a natural way to build lineups. So I think he's going to be, you know, normally popular, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, I, so I would say then it's, it's a bold play and I think it does give you a chance to get a win. Uh, and the benefit of playing Bryson, if you're going to play Bryson this year, at least at this point where we don't know what we're going to get, this is a great week to do it because it's a non-cut event. So you yep. don't have any risk in that sense. My concern with Bryson is going to be distance control. I did mention iron play is a little bit limited this week, so I do believe that's important. There still are four par threes that you've got to contend with, and there will be uh, – well, let me put it this way. You're, you're dealing with some smaller size greens and around the greens, you start hitting it over greens, you get into real trouble. So yeah. how is Bryson going to manage the difference in altitude? I know it, it would make perfect sense for Bryson to do really well. Cause yes, it would. Calculations, right? I mean, yeah. he's doing calculations if they're at 10 feet of altitude, yep. let alone, you know, you know, he's going to be calculating it up here, uh, uh, way more than a mile up in the air. So that makes sense. But I still don't know if Bryson knows his numbers exactly yet. And yeah. so I need a little bit more to prove. But I do think this is a week to take a risk on him. But Xander, man, Rick, to me, Xander's this guy in the $9,000 range that I really have my eye on. He's got he's, a couple of nice finishes here. He's right? the he's the no-cut guy, right? When you give him four guaranteed rounds, like all of his wins or basically every everywhere he pops up on the first page of the leaderboard is a, essentially a no-cut event. He's a world golf championship master. So yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. I'm a huge fan of his game, his all around game. He's an excellent driver of the ball, a lovely iron player, and he can get the putter going too. And a tie 18th and a tie 14th in his two, tri- uh, his two trips here. And both of those had a high round. He had a, in 2018, he had a 74 in his last round, um, which kind of got him into that T18. And, and in his second round, he shot a 73 last year. If you could put four rounds together, you really got to watch out for Xander. His four PGA wins are the Greenbrier and then the Tour Championship, the WGC HSBC, and the Century Tournament of Champions. The last three are all no-cut events. You give this guy four rounds and good things can happen. All right, Greg, I want to jump into the $8,000 range, but before we do that, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. And we're back. Sub 9,000, 8K range led by Louis Oosthuizen, who, by the way, does he still travel with his own bed? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know that he should because if his back is healthy, he can swing the golf club. We were talking about that this morning on a new breed of golf, favorite, our favorite swings 
of all time. And Louis, to me, is right in that conversation. I, I love watching that golf swing. It's one of my favorites in the game. And um, he's an excellent driver of the ball, too. Producer Jacob is in my ear saying he does not still travel with that mattress, which is a little unfortunate, but uh, he's going like full Louie right now, which just means finish like second or third in every event that he plays and don't win anything. Um, you know, his last four events on the Euro Tour, second, second, fifth, 23rd, like he's in really good form. And the last time we saw him at a WGC event, which was the end of last year in China, finished third there. Like, th- like I don't know. This makes almost too much sense for me. I, I know he's not going to win because he doesn't win. But, like, yo, go out and give me a T3. I'm stoked for the week. Stoked, especially in this, right in this, uh, in this range, this 8, 8K range. you got to love it. The thing is with Louis is he's a phenomenal driver of the golf ball. I think that's an, that's a, a huge advantage. I love the way he drives it. Um, he's one of these guys when you put him in big time fields, right? Major championships, world golf championships. He is extremely steady. So, uh, I'm a huge fan of Louis, but I'll give you one guy, Rick, that I do it would say at this time, I rarely have my eye on, but this week in particular, uh, I'm really licking my chops for, and and it's Sergio Garcia. Yeah, Again, man. a guy who's one of the best drivers of the golf ball of all time. I, I think to make that argument, I think, is a pretty fair assessment. He is a ridiculously good driver of the golf ball throughout his entire career. At this venue, he has finished, even in, in years 2017 to 2019, not necessarily the best years for Sergio Garcia. Well, maybe 2017 is a little bit of a different story, but, uh, but 2018, 2019, not necessarily the best play out of Sergio Garcia. We've been, we remember him more for, uh, the issue with Matt Kuchar in the match play, um, not being conceded a putt and missing it, of course. We remember in Saudi Arabia, the temper tantrum that he had in the bunker, damaging five greens and getting disqualified. But at this tournament, in 2018, he came in tied seventh. In 2019, he came in tied sixth. And back in 2017, a T12. I think he's a, a phenomenal pick this week. Um, and, and again, the driver, of course, history. There's a lot of things lining up for Sergio Garcia here. You want to hear a really good stat about this that I can yes. uh, help out with? Please. Okay, so 7,600 feet of altitude here in Mexico City is – Basically, one of the highest altitudes that any of these guys are going to play at on the tour. The other spot is this Omega European Masters, which is held in basically the Swiss Alps. They play at 10,400 feet. You've got to do a lot of the same calculations and figuring it all out. Sergio Garcia uh, has won that event. Other players in this field who have had success at this event, Matthew Fitzpatrick has won it twice. Danny Willett has won it. So it, I, I do believe there is something to figuring this stuff out on the fly when you only have one, two practice rounds and a couple of range sessions and having going out and playing a competitive tournament with all your new numbers. It's a great statistic. It's definitely <laughs> something uh, I think is advantageous. To my Sergio Garcia pick, so I love him this week. Who else are you looking at in this range? This is, uh, yes, that is the tournament where there was like a five-man playoff, and I think Soderberg ended up winning it. Uh, oh, producer yeah. Jacob, giving us, yeah, it was like unbelievable. I woke up in that morning, I was like, oh my god, Rory's in a five-way playoff, and then I think he, I don't know if he's out in the first hole or whatever, but that's the same event. Um, Eight thousand dollar range for me. I, I don't know. I mean, I do like Sergio. I, I like the top with Louis. I, I really love. Colin Morikawa, just like kind of in general. Um, yes, he's, 80, he's, 
He's 8,500 bucks. He is the ultimate grinder. Um, you know, he goes out, goes out in 40 on Sunday or I'm sorry, on Thursday at the Genesis. He could have packed it in, uh, refuses to miss a cut. He still hasn't missed a cut in 20 of his, of his pro starts. He's not going to have to worry about that this week, but like give me a grinder over four rounds and just watch him work his way up the leaderboard all week long. He did that last week, as you mentioned. Yeah. It was a very underrated story, and it probably is just further proof for Colin Morikawa that he can compete with the best players in the world. So uh, always a great pick, no question about it. Gary Woodland's a guy that I am interested in. Uh, do you are are you interested in all with Gary Woodland? I mean, he's a, he's got plenty of length off the tee. He's yeah. a, a really nice driver of the ball. You think he has any chance this week? So generally speaking, believe it or not, um, as good as Gary is off the tee and how long he is, he actually is probably best in situations where he can club down, which is where we've seen a lot of his success before. Uh, shorter courses. I mean, I know it was the U.S. Open it played longer, but like Pebble's generally a, a shorter course. This course here, um, Chapultepec is going to play like effectively, you know, 6,900 yards because of the altitude. It is rather short. He can lay back. I'm a little uninspired by some of his recent recent performances. He missed the cut at the Farmers. He was 40th at the Waste Management. But I I think in general, Greg, this would be a good course fit for him. Yeah, I kind I have my eye on him. I'm not 100% sold. I'm not sold on him the way I'm sold on Sergio Garcia. Um, but he's definitely a guy that has my interest. So uh, it just just something to keep your eye on. Seven thousand dollar range, uh, led by Abraham Answer and Sung J M at seventy nine hundred, all the way down to Jason Kokrak and Sung Kang at seven thousand. Uh, I will just do my usual Sung J shtick and say he's seventy nine hundred dollars. The guy has only played two competitive rounds in the last two weeks because he missed the cut on the number at the Genesis, took the week off before that. He's got to be like dying to play competitive golf. This is like. Get this guy some rounds under his belt. And what I really, really like about him, um, and we kind of mentioned this at the top, Greg, is he makes a ton of birdies. Uh, I think his birdie or better percentage on tour, so not even in this field, is something is like 13th or 14th. Um, and that's what you need over four rounds. You need to continue to keep yourself in contention. You know, we've seen some of these winning scores be 20 under par. Like, you got to make a lot of birdies, and Sungjae makes a ton of birdies. He absolutely does. It's a wonderful golf swing. He's a wonderful player, tee to green, and that definitely yields some of those birdies. And he's a nice putter, too. So uh, not a lot of weakness in that game. And a player in, in big fields can definitely perform. So he's kind of – Sungjae is definitely a safe pick just about every single week. If you have him in your lineup, he's not a guy you're losing any sleep over. Uh, not a lot of risk involved in it. So it's almost surprising, Rick, that you are such a Sungjae fan because I know you like to go with the bold, risky plays. I would expect you almost to go with like a Shane Lowry or, or, uh, or a Brant Snedeker in this case. But Sungjae, to me, in a, definitely a solid anchor, um, a great guy to have on your team. My, my love for Sungjae goes much further than just the risk or risk aversion <laughs> in my lineups. It is much bigger than that. Um, so I, w- I want to get your take on some of these other guys, but b- before we do that, I think there's a line that is drawn somewhere where like at this point, like none of these guys, I don't want to say this, but like have a chance to win. Obviously they all have a chance to win, but like who's the last guy in this player pool or on the betting odds that like you, we think has legitimate win equity, because I'll tell you, 
Um, Sung Jay, like that group down there, Sung Jay, Abraham, Answer, those guys are like 66 to one. I, I, I think it's too deep. I'm not sure they have enough win equity in a WGC event to actually bet. One guy, uh, and it's interesting because you mentioned a little stat on him before. Danny Willett is a guy that I have a very slight inkling that not only is he going to play well, but a guy that I think has some win equity. I think when Danny Willett has the game figured out a little bit, there's a chance that you could see him pop up and win. He won the Masters in 2016. We all know that. Um, but he's not afraid of getting, of going out there and stepping up in a big field. He won a big tournament in Dubai. Which one exactly it was escapes me at the moment. But I do believe that Danny Willett can, can get something together and perform pretty well. Uh, what do you think about Danny? Yeah, so he won the BMW PGA Championship at the end of last year. He had a fifth place finish at the, it's, it's the, the finale of the European Tour. It's the DP World Tour Championship. Right. That's the road to Dubai. So fifth place there, and that's the stacked field. That's when you get Rory Rahm, you know, Bernd Wiesberger was the leader heading into that event. Um, I, I generally like Danny Willett. I like him a lot more on difficult, tracks right like if 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 the winning score here was eight under i feel like um i'd like him a bit more i don't know if he makes enough birdies to contend but i would not be shocked at all he talk about grinders this guy shows up and finishes i don't know t6 he's a hundred to one he i don't even know what his price on on DraftKings is it's probably it's seven thousand dollars so you're not asking for him to necessarily win the golf tournament as long as he performs better than sung kang jason kokrak and you know lee westwood what about one other guy I want to ask you about? Because I, I have some interest in this guy, and he had a great performance in 2018, and that would be uh, that would be Rafa Cabrera Bayo. Do you think? Would you think he has any win equity? It's so tough. I feel like he's a guy that you know the the DFS industry. He's kind of been like the darling in a lot of these majors and a lot of these uh wgc events when he comes over and plays because it's like you know you're getting such a solid ball striker you know you're getting a guy that can contend but like that's basically it i i think that just in the way that he's priced you know someone like even a cam smith a victor a victor perez a Corey connors they're all in that same range even okay here's like even a a similar situation guys someone that is on the european european tour quite a bit and we don't see a lot is burned burned Wiesberger burned Wiesberger is the 23rd ranked player in the world he is ranked higher than Ricky Fowler and he is $7,400 on DraftKings and he was like 135 to one when I looked him up earlier I think he's actually dropped now to 90 but like why not that guy he's he won like eight starts ago like he's a real legit world golfer he won the Italian Open. He won the Ned Bank Golf Challenge, hosted by Gary Player. Actually, I'm sorry, that was a tied third. Uh, he came and tied eighth at Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship. Um, two recent missed cuts, but you're right. I mean, this is a guy who last year going into the Open Championship, and it was a couple weeks beforehand, I had my eye on this guy. And the reason for that is he won in, uh, he won the Maiden Denmark tournament. He came in eighth at the Belgian knockout. He came in 16th at the BMW International Open. And then all of a sudden, right when I say I like I like Byrne as a sneaker at the Open Championship, he has to go out and shoot a 61 at the Scottish Open and yeah. win that tournament. So that kind of, of course, ended his chances of winning the, the Open. But That's I right. love this guy. He's definitely a, a winner. You look back through his official World Golf ranking, kind of the recent form, 
and there's three wins on here and they're all fairly recent. So I, I think he would be a, a really nice choice as far as win equity is concerned. All right. I'm just opening, opening this up to the rest of the field here because there's, there's only 72 players in the field. Once you get below 7,500, there's not a lot of names that you would consider playing, but this one I think is really, really interesting. And it's, it's Terrell Hatton. He's $7,400. Remember he had wrist surgery like two and a half months ago. So he has not played competitively around the world in two and a half months, but the positive side of that is two, two starts ago, which was at the end of last year, he won the Turkish Airlines Open. He's come over and found great success in, uh, in Mexico City, a 19th, a third, and a 10th in his three starts over here. I think this is the epitome, Greg, of what I generally like, which is give me all the risk, uh, because no one's going to play him, uh, especially not on DraftKings, but he's got everything is going for him other than the fact that we haven't seen him. And I, it's, I, I think a lot of people generally say, oh, he hasn't played a golf tournament in two and a half months. Like that means he hasn't picked up clubs in two and a half months, which is obviously not the case. Like he's tested out the wrist. He would only be playing if he thought he was ready to go. Like, I, I don't know. I, I kind of just be like clean slate. I liked Hatton two and a half months ago. Why don't I like him right now? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a reason to go against him. He is, uh, and, and the reason I say it, part of that is you're the second person I've heard bring his name up. Um, the recent history is great. He's a guy who can make a lot of putts. He's a fiery competitor, and that can be a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing. It can really get you into contention. So I, I like the pick in kind of a, he's kind of a sneaky guy here. He doesn't necessarily fit the mold of a bomber, but he can definitely position his, his ball off the tee. And he's a guy that's not afraid to go out and win. So I, I do really like that pick. Um, stretching it a little further down the line, since you leave the, the board open here. Yep. What do you think of Matthew Wallace? Now he's, he is a, a very popular player, especially when it comes to major championships. He's kind of that, um, he's, he's that European player that Americans tend to know, right? We're, we're aware of Matthew Wallace as a European yeah. tour player. Um, it, the, the recent form hasn't necessarily been great. Uh, tied 28th at the DP World Tour Championship, 64th in Abu Dhabi, missed the cut at the Omega Dubai Desert Classic, tied 44th at the Saudi International. So kind of blah recent form. I, I contend that he's a better player than that. And I think you're going to start to see some better finishes out of him. What do you think? I, I definitely think he is a better player than that. And he's shown us that long term. I, I do have a concern about the, the recent stuff. It's been pretty uninspiring. He hasn't had a, geez, oh man, a top 20 since Portugal Masters, which would have been like October-ish of last year, right? It's been, it's been quite yeah. a while for him. Um, and when I look at these guys, so, it's so weird that like our brains were such, we're so American centric, especially when we think about golf and we think about, um, you know, betting or DraftKings in particular, where if I'm going to take a guy who plays primarily on the European tour, I kind of want to see that he's been not necessarily dominating the European tour, but he's been like posting a bunch of really good results. He's been competing in some of their bigger events over there. And I can't really say that for Matt Wallace over the last five months. Do you find it more difficult to get, uh, good accurate statistics on european tour players yeah so this is the first year the european tour is getting a lot better with this this is kind of like the first year where they're really hunkering down and at least giving like strokes gain data uh you're not getting it necessarily on 
a round by round or event by event basis uh, all the time. But like you can see the guys that play over there often are, are, you know, it's not just for the longest time. It was just like fairways hit uh, greens hit number of putts per round. I was like, Oh boy. Um, So there it's, it's getting better, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you're, you're trying to put a, a puzzle together and on a lot of these European guys, you like, you might just be missing pieces on it. Right. There are definitely blanks. That's been the difficulty for me. Now, I don't think it's necessarily European and American players. It's just simply who plays on the PGA Tour. Yes, and, correct. Right? So it doesn't yes. really matter where you're from. It's just do you uh, do we have access to your recent form? Do we get to watch you play? Do we exactly. get to see your statistics? And when, you know, the European Tour is, is hard to watch because of when it's played. So on Sunday morning sometime, I'll wake up with my son and we'll turn on the TV and catch the end of a European Tour event. But it's typically just the end. So it's hard to see all these guys play. It's hard to see them all finish. It's hard to get an idea. Like you said, that's a great analogy. You're just simply missing pieces of the puzzle. Um, but it's a, he's a familiar name, Matt Wallace, world number 41. So definitely a, an interesting guy to take a look at. I've got two more that I think interest me because when you get to the bottom of this list, you start to get the exemptions from the Asian tour guys that, I mean, are literally, you know, multiple hundreds into the world rankings. Uh, no reason to think they're going to be contending, but there are some names that kind of feel a little bit off to me. So, you know, Lonto Griffin, pull my string. We'll talk about, we'll talk about Lonto every single week. He's $6,700. And I just think it's weird that he is priced below. Oh my God, Matias Schwab, Lee Westwood, Christian Busenhout. I don't even, I don't even know how to say that. Like, Busenhout. Okay, thank you. Like he is, he is, in my opinion, a better player than those guys. He plays on the PGA Tour. He's a PGA Tour winner. He racks up top twenties nearly every single week. He finished thirty seventh in a stacked field at the Genesis last week. Like. I, yeah, like Lonto. And then the other guy down here is, uh, 6,600 is, is Carlos Ortiz. I believe there are two, uh, Mexican players in the field. It's Abraham Answer and it's Carlos Ortiz. And Ortiz, it, like, he has that, what you like to call, like, that popping ability, Greg, where, um, you know, he can kind of show up. A, a T2 at Mayakoba, a T4 in Houston. He plays over here on the PGA Tour a lot. Uh, 26th at the Genesis, 25th at the Waste Management. So he is playing really, really well, heads back uh, to at least his home country. I don't know how long he played in Mexico or if he loves the grass or anything like that, but he's got that flag next to his name. So, of course, it catches my attention. But he's someone else that I think offers up a lot of that salary cap relief if you wanted to go get DJ or Rory. I'll start with Lonto. Okay. Um, uh, we must be missing something. I, cause I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't understand. I don't understand that. I, yeah. I don't have any, it doesn't make any sense. It, it's almost too good. It's almost too good to be true. So I'm, I'm wondering like, what, how is he, how is he below Lee Westwood? How, how is he below Lucas Glover? Right. The names go, how is he below Jason Kokrak? I right? don't know. What, what, it, this, it doesn't make, how is he below Francesco Molo? <laughs> I, I don't know. It are, doesn't make any sense. You are preaching it, it makes to the no choir. Sense. Yeah. So I, I, I he's sitting out there. Do I want to take him just because of the price? Well, I, I think Lonto Griffin is a, is a truly talented player. And we have been asking that question. When is the streak going to end? And then he goes out and I think he missed two cuts in a row, but then he comes right back and yeah. he plays great at Pebble, great at the Genesis. And it makes me think that Lonto Griffin is truly just, he's a better player than everybody thinks. He's just, uh, he is legitimately a very, very good 
PGA Tour player. So I, I am a fan of Alonzo Griffin, and yes, we'll talk about him every week. His name catches your eye. He's generally underpriced. And until that pricing starts to go up and he starts getting into the mix with the guys that he belongs with, I, I think that's the only time when we'll talk about him a little bit less. Uh, as for Carlos Ortiz, great player. Uh, he had a great wraparound season and yeah. some good recent form in this, in, in the 2020 calendar year, as you've mentioned. Um, it's one of those interesting cases where it's, it, this reminds me almost of, well, the guy who just won can't possibly win again. The guy who won <laughs> last year can't possibly win again. Right. The guy who's from Mexico can't possibly win in Mexico, right? That's kind of where I go. And I, I fear that he may put a little too much pressure on himself to perform in his home country. Like you said, he's only one of two players from Mexico in the field. That can carry a lot of pressure. He's probably going to get bigger crowds than he would on a PGA Tour event. There's probably going to be more activity around a Carlos Ortiz this year than there has been. So of the two players from Mexico uh, in this list, I prefer Abraham Answer. And I think Abraham Answer has taken a step in his career. I think it started at the President's Cup. I think he backed it up at the American Express where he says, hey, I am one of the best players in the world. And when Abraham Answer sees the crowds that are going to come and follow him this week, I think it's to be expected. I don't think it's going to come as a surprise. I don't think it's anything he's not used to. In fact, I think it's something he is going to expect. So Abraham Answer is, is the favorite for me. And I know he's in a completely different price range. I know he's yeah. priced up with the, with the favorites, but, um, I think Abraham Answer is ready to sort of carry the flag of his country. And I still have questions about Carlos Ortiz. I have made, I mentioned it earlier, I've made one bet this week. I want to kind of get your thoughts on this. So I've bet Bryson to win outright at 33 to 1. The rest of my wagers will probably be more investments in things like top five and top 10. Um, because again, I think that, you know, there's, uh, of course I'm going to say this, that there's 10 guys in this field that can actually win it and someone is going to come up and, st- and steal one this week. But like, you know, I think that the, the, huge chunk of the win equity lives with the top 10 or so guys on this on this betting board so the rest of my wagers will be kind of top five top 20 or i'm sorry top 10 and then even some top 20 bets in a field of 72 like you can find some pretty intriguing odds i mean like like burned weisberger who we talked about um his top 10 number oh now i just lost him his top 10 number burned here we go i'm vamping i'm vamping is nine to one uh to finish in the top 10 so, like, he's got to beat, what, 62 golfers, and he's the 23rd-ranked player in the world. Like, I don't think we're asking all that much. I don't hate that bet at all. I think those are pretty good odds. It, it, you're, you're 100% right on this, Rick, because I, when I look at this, uh, I, when I look at this leaderboard, I really see, I, I would even limit it. I, I would limit the guys who I think can really win this tournament. I, it's almost like, how is one of these guys in the top four? not going to win how is it going to be not rory dj justin thomas or john rom these guys are so good and i I, you mentioned it already the guys that win wgc's are typically big names i would i would also throw xander shoffley in that mix um as a guy that i really think can get the job done because of his no cut performance so i think it's very limited in the winning uh, aspect and i like the betting on top 10 some of these guys we've already talked about Definitely have some top 10 equity. I think Rafa Cabrera Bayo has top 10 equity. He's like a steady, sneaky 
consistent player um, who could probably get in there. And some of these other guys we mentioned too, Terrell Hatton, I think is a really interesting bet as well. I agree. I have one head to head for you. Uh, it's essentially a straight up coin flip. They're within a point of each other, but Tommy Fleetwood versus Hideki Matsuyama. Um, that just sounds like a ball striking competition to me. Uh, do you have a lean on one of these guys over the other? Tommy Fleetwood. I think Tommy Fleetwood is a slightly better putter. You're right. This is a, this is definitely a ball striking contest. Um, I love the way Tommy drives the ball. He is yeah. that positional. He's long, not a, not, I wouldn't classify him as a bomber, but he's really long and he's extremely accurate off the tee. I, I love that for a little advantage for him. And I, I just think he's a better putter than Hideki. So I would go, I would lean, I don't want to say pretty strong. I would lean, I would say 80 20. 80, 70, 30. I would do 70, 30. 60, 40. Yeah, 60, yeah, yeah. It's 50, 51, 49. 51, 49. Yeah, how low can no, I I'm going to stick with 70, 30. I'd go okay. 70, 30, Tommy Fleetwood on that one. All right, this is actually a really interesting situation. Um, so I'm glad this is the matchup that we have where I think it's very clear that I, I really like Hideki this week. I, I love the upside of him. Um, but this is a situation where if I was betting outrights, I'd rather bet Hideki. But in a matchup situation, I would actually prefer the safer guy. Um, you know, I, I don't want the guy that could potentially finish 39th in a field of 72, which I think happens to Hideki more often. I want the guy that, you know, if you, if you simulate this tournament a thousand times, Tommy Fleetwood might, you know, average finish might be like seventh, which, which I bet you is the, is higher than or better than the average finish of Hideki Matsuyama. So when I'm, when I'm doing it that way, uh, I agree. I want the safer guy in a head to head matchup, which in my opinion is Tommy Fleetwood. Do you give Tommy Fleetwood any, win equity at all because I, I have this vision and it, it's a it's a funny vision um but he's kind of getting to the point where he's not getting a lot of conversation not a lot of people are talking about tommy fleetwood and he's another one of those darlings when it comes to major championships and tournaments like that and this vision i have is tommy fleetwood wins a world golf championship and all of a sudden all four majors this year Everybody's talking about Tommy Fleetwood. Everybody's expecting him to win. And you just keep shooting 63 in the final round to come in tied second. It's weird. He, he, he still doesn't have a PGA tour win. It's, it's so wild. strange, but. And, and, I, and I feel like if he, you know, you know, Tommy Fleetwood gets a lot of, or I'm sorry, Tony Finau gets a lot of flack for only having that Puerto Rican Open win and not having a real win. But, but he provides cover for Tommy Fleetwood, who all of his wins are on the European Tour. And at least he has, he's got five of them. I mean, he's 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 been great on the European side, but he just hasn't done it over here. So like, it's really hard to be like, yeah, Tommy Fleetwood can win on the PGA Tour and he can win in a very deep field when I haven't seen it. It's a, it's a good point, but the European tour, the, that's the difference to me between Tony Finau and Tommy Fleetwood. It's two folds. One, Tommy Fleetwood plays a lot more on the European tour than Tony Finau, who is playing full time on the PGA tour. And sure. you're not going to see the number of events out of Tommy Fleetwood. So I think that definitely gives him a little bit of cover. Um, man, Tommy's got some good finishes in big time tournaments. He really does finish strong in events like this. So I like him. I just, it, it almost seems like, there's just something missing from him to win one of these things. And I know we talk about it all the time. Winning is hard to do, but I think he definitely has the capability of popping up and winning one of these tournaments. 
Okay, Greg, it is time. Uh, one and done picks. Now, I have to get clarification from producer Jacob on this. If we are, we don't have to talk about it, but are, if we're also required to pick for the Puerto Rican Open this week, um, and I'm getting an answer of no. So, okay, we are going to make our WGC Mexico picks. Um, would you like me to go first, Greg, or do you I would go like first? you to go first. All right. I want to take every advantage I can get. I missed the cut <sighs> last week. Let's see, let's see what you got. All right, so just to quickly recap, Kyle Porter with the win on Adam Scott last week is now at 2.1 million points. I am literally in dead last with 400,000. Uh, the good news for me is I'm one win away, baby. Uh, but me and my, myself and Mark Immelman are uh, very much in the basement here. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play number one, Rory McIlroy this week. And wow. The reason for that, and I know what the process is, right? You save these guys for majors. They are the largest prize pools, uh, all that good stuff. I get it. However, this is a massive prize pool, $10.5 million. It's the sixth largest prize pool. So when you talk about majors, uh, majors, players, it's like this event and the WGCs come next. It's, it's right there. Um, I want to burn my best players when I know I'm getting four rounds. And if we talk about studs winning here all the time, um, I think that when you guarantee these guys four rounds, you don't get a situation at, you know, at the Masters where Justin Rose has one bad round, misses the cut and gets you nothing. This gets you a situation where like I'm getting four rounds out of Rory and he's very clearly the best player in the world. He was the best player in the field last week for 70 of the 72 um, uh, holes. And this is a situation where I'm trying to make up ground. And I think he owns a large percentage of the win equity in this field. I think you are doing the right thing here. Part of the reason for that, Rory McIlroy is hard for me to trust in majors this, this year. Um, we didn't see a great major championship performance out of him last year, and he, he can just be a little bit difficult to trust. Although, that being said, I do like his chances at um, at Harding Park. Augusta's, yeah, that's a, Augusta's a risky one, but I, I think Rory is a great pick for Harding Park. But anyway, um, I, I like the strategy. I admire that strategy. I think Rory's the guy. Like, if you're going to talk about a Brooks Kepka or Dustin Johnson, I think those are the kind of players – um, that you have a little bit more trust in those guys in making cuts at majors and, and really, really contending. Um, but I go with a similar strategy to you. Guys who have a little bit more risk of maybe missing a cut in a major, I think you want to use when you're guaranteed four rounds. So the guy for me right now I think is the a worldwide player who has some of the best stuff going. He is one of the best drivers of the golf ball over the past couple of years, one of the best players in the world, may even end the year at world number one. Um, and I think he's going to give Rory McIlroy a great challenge, and it's John Rahm. Ah, so to, I knew it. Yeah. To me, you go with the heavy hitter in this tournament. You're guaranteed yes. four rounds. Heavy hitters generally win here. Uh, a, a great driver of the ball, a great putter. And it's that world. There's something about John Rahm when it, it goes worldwide. Not a prolific winner on the PGA Tour yet, but he is a prolific winner in worldwide fields. So um, I'm looking for John Rahm to make a big move this week, and I think you're going to see him right near the top of the leaderboard. I love it. Um, yeah, I think I've spent the first like six weeks or six events trying to be like the smartest guy in the room and taking like the, um, you know, the third or fourth best player and it's kind of burned me a couple times. So I'm just saying ride with Rory and we'll see what happens. 
WGC Mexico. Greg Ducharme. You can get him on Twitter at the real GFD. Greg, any final parting words before we close up shop today? As usual, I'm extremely excited <laughs> for this PGA Tour event. I am honored and privileged to get to spend uh, about an hour or so with you every Tuesday talking about these players. Great insight, Rick. I, I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to another great week of big-time golf. Yeah, these are a ton of fun. I thoroughly enjoy them. If you thoroughly enjoy them, don't be afraid. Leave a rating, leave a review on iTunes, wherever you get podcasts. That is the currency that we deal in. It is much appreciated. It allows us uh, to do as much as possible. I'm Rick Gaiman. You can find me on Twitter at Rick Run Good, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>